Hello everyone, my name is Ryan and you're listening to The Vegan Report. If you're vegan for the animals and you care to do more for animal rights, but you're not sure where to start, then this podcast is for you. Every week, let yourself fall in love with passionate animal rights leaders who will inspire you to find your voice, your own special contribution to the animal rights movement, however small or big it is. Today we are going to talk about farms transitioning to a cruelty-free and exploitation-free business model. As you know, listeners, this is a topic very dear to my heart. In the past, I have welcomed guests who used to work for the animal industry before recognizing the harm it causes. You will remember Colin, episode 2 of the podcast, who used to work for ranches and slaughterhouses before becoming vegan and speaking up publicly about his experience. It was also the case for Catherine, episode 4 of the podcast, who worked for a horse stable but has now opened an animal sanctuary in the heart of Vietnam. Stories like these inspire me more than anything else. It gives me the hope that change is possible and a brighter future awaits us. To discuss this topic, I have with me Kennedy Little from Farm Transition Academy. On their website, and I will leave a link in the description, you can read the following description. Our work consists of two main pillars. We assist farmers and industry workers transition towards regenerative forms of agriculture and alternative forms of income. We provide businesses and communication strategy advice to farmers interested in transitioning. We host workshops and presentations for individuals who want to become allies of farmers and industry workers who want to leave the animal farming industry and search for more stable, sustainable, and safe sources of income. Welcome to the podcast, Kennedy. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It's such a pleasure to be here speaking about these important issues that Farm Transition Academy attempts to tackle. Um, There are definitely a lot of them, and those pillars ring very true within an organization. So thank you for having us. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, Can you first introduce yourself? How did you get involved with Farm Transition Academy? Yeah, so my name, once again, is Kennedy Little. My pronouns are she, her, and I live in Lexington, Kentucky, born and raised. And so just being a part of the agriculture scene here um, in the South, kind of the United States, it really has allowed me to see how agriculture is such a prominent way of living for so many individuals. Um, I'm uh, living here with my two sisters and my parents. And um, once I started high school, I began to attend an agricultural school. That's when I began getting involved with FFA and learning about organizations like 4-H and AFA and just seeing what's out there related to agriculture and youth involvement. Um, Soon after that, that's when I um, began to learn more about veterinary medicine and other forms of agriculture. And um, currently, a um, junior in college majoring in pre-law and agribusiness, where um, I hope to continue to fight for animals through policy and legislation, um, doing on the ground work with farmers and just using my voice to be an advocate for those um, that are um, not always heard. And I joined Farm Transition Academy um, my sophomore summer. And there, that's when I met Mira Geyser and Tati Rainbopin, who are the two co-founders of of FTA. And it just really sparked a connection between all of us. We're all very passionate activists. And yeah, it was just a perfect thing that, you know, could have happened for me because I had always said before that I want to help farmers farm more sustainably. And I had the opportunity to do that. So I definitely took it. How did you develop that interest for animal welfare? Where did it come from? Man, I have always been a lover of animals. I can remember always begging my parents to get us um, a companion animal, a dog. And it's just always been there. It really has. I always thought that I wanted to be a veterinarian. That shortly changed after my first year of college. 
Um, but I, I definitely just have always had that love. Um, at around 10, that's when I began to adopt a pescatarian lifestyle. My parents were completely just like thrown for a loop. They're like, what is she doing? It's just a fade. It's going to go away. Um, but over time, that turned into vegetarianism and then veganism, which I used to say, I don't know if I can ever make that stuff. I can't take away dairy, but it happened. And I wish I had done it sooner. Um, but definitely that love for animals. And then that ability to see that there definitely was a division between our system where there were those companion animals that got that love and respect and that care whereas farm animals did not get that so understanding that there definitely was that line that was existing and that that needed to be erased that's what really prompted me to go vegan and seeing the treatment of the animals within factory farming um, big farms small farms all of it is just so egregious so wanting to do something about that as well I love your answer because I can relate. I had the same experience, you know, I, I want to say I was born with that, you know, compassion and uh, it, it was present when I was a little kid. And I love asking this question, but I always have in mind that maybe people are distant to be vegan in a way. They have some qualities uh, innate to them that made the, make them more attracted to this, uh, to veganism, to animal welfare. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a whole debate. Um, how did Farm Transition Academy come to exist? And should I understand that your very existence implies that there is a growing number of farmers abandoning animal exploitation? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so just to answer that last question, um, absolutely. There are many farmers who are becoming aware of the system, um, whether they feel as though they are being um, used as a pawn in the game for some agriculture businesses to gain funding while they are lower um, on this totem pole and they don't want anything to do with it anymore now of course this number is growing but it still is a very small number when you look at areas like california and out west um and maybe some areas in the south as well um there are more farmers that are transitioning but it definitely is different for each state which is important to keep in mind and when it comes to Farm Transition Academy, we began in the year 2021, and um, it first started with Tatiana Rainbopin and Mira Geyser, two animal rights activists. And so they began um, talking about how that they how they could help farmers, and it began as a way or as a thought of helping of educating farmers and educating animal rights activists in the field, um, because there really is a division between animal rights activists and those in the agriculture industry. Those who see, um, some who see animal um, rights activists, they see us as people who um, are wanting to completely burn their industry down. But for many of us, that's not the case. And for Tati, Mira, and um, I, we want to tell them that there are other ways that you can live more sustainably and work more sustainably without having um you know, these different implications and we can be here to support you. And we wanna work with those other um, animal rights activists to tell them that it is okay to support farmers to make that transition because there definitely is this taboo around um, animal farmers and how they don't deserve respect if they're doing what they're doing. But at the end of the day, many of them are oppressed as well and they need that help out of the industry. Um, so that's why FTA began. And then once we got our logo, once we, um, got our website and we had our first mentoring program and our first workshop. That's when we really began to evolve into moving towards the path that we want to. I had a very good friend and she was a farmer, you know, her family, they were all farmers for generation, dairy farmers. And when I became vegan, you know, it was tough to, to, to deal with that, to have conversations with her around, you know, why are you vegan? You know, are you threatening my my livelihood, the livelihood of my family? And I, I was trying to, you know, get around that and try to find our common um, to remember our friendship and find our common humanity through through this um, um, this very sensitive issue. Um, yeah, I, I think that among vegans there is this. Um, animosity toward uh, farmers. And I think that generally in society, we have some pretty weird misconceptions about uh, farmers. Um, a good example of that is that image of farmers being uneducated. You know, they're, they're stupid people. 
and what they're doing um, doesn't require a lot of uh, brain power. I remember, I think there was this whole controversy with Michael Bloomberg basically talking in those terms. Think about it. The agrarian society lasted 3,000 years, and we could teach processes. I could teach anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. The information economy is fundamentally different. You have to have a different skill set. You have to have a lot more gray matter. Um, but I, I want to get an idea, you know, a realistic idea of uh, what is, it is like to, to be a farmer and what is the industry like. And I want to ask you, you know, in your line of work, you are in contact with workers from the animal industry. Can you tell us about who they really are and uh, what they are experiencing in their everyday life? Yeah, so with our work with Farm Transition Academy, we have had the opportunity to speak with um, farm workers and farmers in the industry. And although I would not consider myself an animal farmer, I would not consider myself an animal farmer at all. Um, I cannot directly speak from their standpoint, but what I can do is try to tell their stories that they have allowed us to tell. And one of those individuals is Cesar Alonso, who lives in, who lived in Canada and who still lives um, in um, Canada, who worked at a um, slaughterhouse. And there he explained the horrors of just everyday work, witnessing animals having their last breath or having their lives taken away from them. And at that point, um, Cesar was having those um, beliefs that the work he was doing was not right. He wanted to definitely get a way out. At some point, he was taking cows, up to five cows at a time, to come live with him in his in his small home um, just to protect their life until he could get them to a sanctuary. And he ended up becoming a whistleblower for it was Cedar Valley Farms. And there, um, there became um, just a ripple of effects that came after that, good and bad. Um, some legal um, action and uh, some health getting his voice heard and then of course him going vegan and just from speaking out about this industry he was able to make incredible change but the reality is that for many of these farm workers because there is a difference between farmers and farm workers many farm workers are um, working of course under those farmers and they do not have access to the same amount of um, support funding as these farmers do. It can be very difficult for them to wiggle around that power imbalance between farmers and farm workers. And it's definitely an industry um, or a, a career that can be very oppressive at times. Um, some of these farm workers are people of color, there are undocumented immigrants. And so they have this way of silencing themselves because they have fears of the implications surrounding if they were to speak out. Um, and it's very easy for these companies to kind of use that silence because they are targeted um, to keep them silent and to keep them doing their dirty work. Um, and so these industries are definitely not fine by any means. Um, the 40-year vegan or David um, is very popular within the vegan um, movement when it comes to telling his story about how he once worked within the agriculture industry um, within a slaughterhouse. Um, he shares that, you know, he had such terrors going into work every single day, knowing that his beliefs were changing, yet he still felt as though he had to do this work. Um, and a lot of these farm workers and farmers justify their work because they see it as a attachment to making money. Many of them have to make a living. And when society sees um, killing non-human animals as a way of surviving and as an acceptable means of sustaining yourself, then it's very difficult for these farmers to not um, uh, go against the grain. And there also is another aspect that FTA loves to talk about, and it's about that community um, of farmers. When you are living in a community where you're maybe 30 miles away from, you know, these um, grocery stores or from these other areas of, of um of city life, then it's easy to kind of hear those voices around you and to have that constant framing and priming of information where you're not seeing um, other areas of veganism and sustainability and environmentalism. Um, so, you know, for a lot of these farmers, we are trying to educate them um, on 
you know, the other areas of, of sustainability, um, other than regenerative agriculture or, um, you know, feeding animals something different in their diet, there is a completely way of com not using animals at all by any means. So it definitely is difficult. Now, this, of course, isn't the case for all farmers and for farm workers. Many of them are aware of what they're doing. Um, but we definitely do want to give attention to those that are stuck in this cycle. So do you target um, farm owners, like from s smaller farms, or do you also target um, the, the big the big fish, you know, the, the, the big industries, uh, farm industries? And do you also uh, interact with uh, farm workers, or um, is your target um, the, the owners of the, of the industry? So at FTA, we have mainly interacted with farm workers. Mm -hmm. We have spoken with some farmers as well, but FTA is still definitely building up to the point where we can bring on farmers and give them that access to every area of transitioning because it's not a cheap process. Um, further on down the line, I would love to speak with you about funding um, because it is very difficult for these farmers to get access to um forms of monies that will allow them to transition successfully. Um, but yes, yeah, so we don't necessarily work with those corporate organizations. We do talk about those issues, but having gotten to the point where we're willing to reach out to them specifically and offer them this five-year plan or, um, you know, tell them change this or else, you know. So it, it definitely is a slower process um, for that. And another thing that we like to do is to make ourselves known, let farmers know, let animals agriculturists know, let all agriculturists know that there is a way um, to make that transition happen. But we want them to reach out to us instead of necessarily targeting. Um, we want to allow ourselves to be that invitation um, and to let them know that it is okay to ask for help. And change does happen. Sometimes it happens slow. Um, but there is a way out of this industry. If you see that you are in debt, that you're struggling, that's another thing as well. A lot of farmers, they are in debt. Um, farming is a very price see career to be in and sometimes it's not always um um reciprocal um, money-wise. Sometimes, you know, there are some seasons where you are not bringing in a, a high enough amount of funding or um, grants or, um, you know, your harvest for your, for your um, uh, crop production um, did not, was not that, um, you know, high for you and your farm. So there definitely are those barriers that those farmers do face. Um, so definitely just being aware about those issues before we reach out to anyone. Um, we also do recognize that for many farmers of color, some of them are not landowners. Um, as someone who um, is a person of color and living in Kentucky, I definitely do recognize the disparity between farmers of color and then those white farmers that are owning their land. So the conversation is completely different when you're talking about indigenous people and when you're talking about farmers of color um, because that connection to their land might be that much more different than that of a white farmer um, because they might just now be getting land ownership versus um, farmers who have had that in their family for generations. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that the suicide rates among uh, farmers is very high. Yes, yes. Suicide rate among the um, farmer community, it is very, very high. Um, so Yes, thank you for kind of bringing that in because that's another barrier that we have to speak on. Um, it it's very it's a very sad fact. Um, and when you look at the amount of farmers just in the United States, which is around one point seven percent, a very small percentage. Um, that's a very high fact to associate with that um, line of work. And yeah, so just those different aspects are all things that have to be present within a um, conversation or at least in the back of your mind. Um, we talk about these things within our workshops because sometimes you're going up to go speak with a farmer, whether it's at a farmer's market or reaching out to them on Instagram, they definitely do have the, um, they have a way of pulling back, of leaving the conversation. Um, you are invited in a conversation with them and you only have sometimes a certain amount of time in order to pull them in to get that conversation started so how can you do that in the most effective way without um causing any um, discord because at the end of the day we are doing this for the animals um whether you're a non-human animal or human animal because we want to see that change towards more justice more just world 
And I think I had that feeling, you know, reading um, your mission statement on your website that um, you were also thinking about the farmers that were going to read that. I mean, this is not, you know, when I read it, it was not like um, a vegan manifesto, you know, something very uh, radical that would turn off uh, farmers that, that would read it. So did I have the right impression here? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. You did. And I thank you for seeing that. I think that that's something that FGE has tried to work hard in. And how can we be a resource for farmers without turning them away? Because within the animal rights movement, there definitely is enough of that. If there are people out there that think that we're not being hard enough as an organization, then a farmer could scroll down and they can get that. So there definitely needs to be that balance in between the movement where there are these places where farmers can come to to get that assistance. And that doesn't mean that FGE is going to be completely compliant on all these different things absolutely not um you can go on our website to see our mission we're completely against the abuse and cruelty and exploitation of animals but a way to make change is to hit the area where it's happening and that is farming when we go into our grocery stores to consume these um to consume the flesh of animals and the abuse the result their secretions all these different things we are seeing um a production and that is the farming industry so how can we hit that sector um, and make change effectively and that's exactly what we're attempting to do and and that's that's truly amazing um how I want to go back to that, you know, uh, causing harm to animals. How do uh, farmers, farm workers um, rationalize their actions um, when they are hurting animals, exploiting them? What are some of the justifications they they come up with? Because um, some of them might want to go to take their distance from that industry, but they might not be vegan. Um, so have you heard about, you know, that inner story they they tell themselves about uh, their actions? Yes. Um, and just from stories and just from learning about different farmers experience, um, it is a very sad situation. Um, once again, there are some farmers who understand what they're doing and they haven't yet reached that point where they're willing to change. Um, and FTA probably won't get target those groups yet because there are that many other farmers that are wanting to get that assistance um, or wanting to get that help out of the industry, farm workers included. And so a lot of them rationalize it once again, because it is legal to do so. Um, and, you know, for some farmers um, with with farming, I think it's a very interesting line of work because it has been a part of our existence for since we've been here on this earth. And so it's a matter of going back to our roots in a way for a lot of these farmers when it comes to food, it's something that each of us have to eat. And for some um workers who are producing this food, they don't see eating plant-based as a sufficient ways of eating. Um, within their work, they think that meat has to be part of that staple um, diet. Um, and that goes for all countries in a way. And so for many of them, they just see it as something that is just justifiable because it's legal and because it is a culture, cultural thing. And it's unfortunate, of course, because we know that that's not the case. I mean, there can be a very healthy diet that does not rely on the lives of animals, but it definitely is a matter of educating farmers on that, educating these federations and bureaus that are instilling this mindset in farmers that your work is just so important and integral integral to the way of living, um, that there is no way that we could survive without you. Um, so there definitely is that pride also that these farmers and farm workers are getting, um, that their work is just, you know, top of the line. And without them, um, there would be no us um, because they are producing food for us. And once again, with, you know, the farming industry being such a small percentage of, you know, different workforces, there also is another line of pride and of self, um, of just self, um, um, of self, um, this, yeah, so self pride and self um, awareness um, of the they're doing to supply the food sector. Um, another thing too is that animals are, you know, not these living, breathing, sentient beings that 
we know them to be um, within the agriculture industry, their lives are just completely reduced to nothing as if they are nothing more than livestock, quote unquote. That's where that term comes from, living stock on a shelf. And it it's such, um, you know, a very interesting thing when you look into it, because those things are perpetuated. And that kind of science allows farmers to continue to do the work that they do because they're not really seen as animals with personalities as we know them to be. This is such an important point because every time I think about uh, farm animals, I think about the farm animals I see in my Instagram feed uh, from uh, farm sanctuaries. You know, they they look happy, uh, they're surrounded, um, they're active, they're uh, truly alive. But it is true that when you are in, in that machine, in that industry, you're just a shadow of yourself, um, you know, as an animal. And you, you might, uh, in the eyes of uh, a farm workers, uh, farm worker, um, be perceived as less than um, because of the conditions in which you are, because of how, you know, that trauma uh, tra- made you into... Um, something else, you know, uh, less than. Um, so yeah, what an interesting point. Thank you. Yes, very, very true. Once again, and just when you're looking at how these animals are treated within the animal agriculture industry, they're taught to be no more than a number. They're taught to be no more than a face behind a barbed wire or within a cage. And so that autonomy, that personality is completely stripped away from each of them. Um, And another thing as well is that for a lot of these farmers, they are bringing these animals into the world with forcible impregnation. So they kind of see that as I'm bringing these animals into this world and I'm taking them out. This is part of my job. They have no autonomy. So, you know, those are just little things that um, really do create um, a very upsetting implication on the lives of these animals and on the lives of animal rights activists as well, um, because their lives are just being completely erased as nothing more than a number or nothing more than a package label. This is so twisted, such a (laughs) twisted situation. Um, We talked about uh, the prejudices we we can have about uh, farmers. Um, But how do workers of the animal industry perceive the vegan animal welfare movement? Uh, Does it register as a threat? Or is it something like a craze? You know, they they look at those vegans and they think, um, what madness? Um, So could you tell us about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so within the um, agriculture, agriculture industry, um, it would be untrue of me to say that there definitely is this, not this um, idea of what a vegan is. And for some, that's a militant individual that is trying to ruin the agriculture industry, that is attempting to take away farmers' livelihood. And, you know, we are these woke individuals that are attempting to um, change the world with our ways of sustainability and alternative methods. Um, And that in some ways, you know, it's it's extremely false because we, um, especially Farm Transition Academy, we're doing this work because we are supporters of farmers. Um, I think that farming is one of the most um, incredible jobs there is, except it's just the way that we are doing it. We are doing it in a very unsustainable way. We're doing it in a way that is not creating reciprocity for our land, that is completely going against any form of growth for the 50 years to come that is doing something that is just not um, viable for our land. And that is animal agriculture. And um, of course, it's important to pay attention to the forms of plant-based agriculture that are also just as cruel um, to farm workers. And um, yeah, so we definitely do see these issues within the animal agriculture industry. Um, And to tie back to your point, yes, many farmers do see us as a threat to their livelihood. And when we also look into the government, um, some vegans, um, veganism is not always accepted into that sphere. Um, We're also seen as just um, a group that is trying to push backwards and trying to create change that is not going to happen but we do see our change happening we do see a lot of these areas adopting plant-based living and 
Yeah, so it's a very unfortunate situation that we are perceived this way, but there is definitely a way out of this, and that's to continue to educate ourselves, to educate those in power, um, and to continue to create change that way. Um, we don't want to be seen as militant. We want to be seen as people with power, people who are able to create change, people with a vision, um, visionaries, and um, people with innovation as well, because once again, there are so many um, vegans who were once in the boots of those who um, are farmers, farming animals. FTA has had the opportunity to meet so many farmers who were once dairy farmers and beef farmers and um, to see that they have completely changed their lives around for the better. It's just a direct testimony that although you once lived a certain way, doesn't mean that has to be the way forever. And, you know, I have to say, I, I've seen posts of uh, vegan organizations celebrating uh, when a farm uh, goes bankrupt or uh, when um, a Tyson factory closes its door uh, forever. And do you think this is helpful or do you think that this is harmful for the movement to uh, openly celebrate um, the closing uh, those industry uh, centers? You know, that's a really, really good question. Um, FTA also recognizes that there definitely is the separation between how um, some farmers or some animal rights activists that are trying to help farmers view the industry um, and then how some other vegans who are just very, you know, their hearts and their anger and passion is leading them to just attack the industry in all, all, all different ways, which I think can be an understandable passion. Um, because when you see how these animals are treated, it can leave you to go a lot of different routes of trying to bring them to um, autonomy of their own bodies. But at the end of the day, it's not always um, constructive to be doing these things because we are pushing a lot of these farmers away from our movement. And at the end of the day, there are those farmers and farm workers specifically that are affected by this, those undocumented immigrants, those farmers of color, those individuals who don't have a voice like you and I might have to speak out against these injustices because of fear of consequences. So understanding that there is a victim in that as well, um, beside those animals, that I believe could redirect a lot of these vegan vegans to changing the way that they see um, how these uh, industries are shutting down. Now, when we see these industries shut down, of course, that is a form that is telling us that the world is changing. However, we still, of course, have to stay aware of those victims involved. Um, uh, the uh, uh, example that you brought up made me think about Food Empowerment Project and how they are fighting against um, uh, Amy's Kitchen because of their cruelty to their workers. And that um, industry um, and Amy's Kitchen is a vegan and vegetarian business. However, just because they are vegan and vegetarian doesn't mean that they are cruelty free. And I think that that goes back into how plant based production also needs those changes as well. It's not perfect just because it isn't directly taking the lives of animals. And when we saw that Amy's Kitchen shut down one of their um, locations in California, uh, yes, of course, you know, the work that they were doing did come to a cease at a specific location, meaning that farmer, um, those industry workers cannot be directly hurt anymore because they weren't working at that location. We still saw that they were suffering just because you are no longer in that position doesn't mean that those other, you know, extra uh, factors of just life um, are taken care of. They are not. Um, those uh, workers went back to um, having to figure out how they would pay bills, how they would um, take care of their children, um, all these other areas that um, become gray and that become muddied when these factories close down. And the Farm Transition Academy wants to get to the point where when these factories close, we can be there guiding those farm workers into other forms of plant-based work um, or just completely new area of working. We want to have those resources and we want to be able to offer them those services um, because it's not easy trying to find different routes and ways of working, um, you know, when you have been um, a part of an industry for so long. And another point I want to bring up talking about the rationalization of just this work that they're doing, a lot of these farmers are exposed to PTSD um, and other forms of trauma and depression and mental health issues. And that just cloudiness 
creates another barrier of how they're ever going to even leave the industry. Having to go back home after a day's work of slitting throats, of um, you know, shooting animals with um, bolt guns, and all these different things are just complete. Um, you know, they're 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 very inhumane, um, and they're just such heinous ways of life. And no person should have to go through that. And the fact that a lot of these. Um, individuals that are um, undocumented immigrants are targeted, I think shows a direct representation of the industry. So yes, there, there's so many um, effects from the animal agriculture industry that create a, just, it creates another barrier once again, and it creates an obstacle for these farmers um, where they feel as if they have no other choice. I get the impression uh, from hearing you that there is really no winner with this industry the workers are losing um the animals of course first victims of this industry and um also you point out uh as an organization that there are other harmful effects of uh the animal agriculture industry that this is not just about um being uh, ethical toward animals that there are very negative impacts for uh, for the earth, for the planet, uh, for the environment. So could you tell us about that? Mm, yeah, so soil exploitation, water depletion, deforestation, food injustice, worker injustice, those, those are just a few of the ways that the animal agriculture industry is creating a negative effect for this planet. And we have to be aware of those things. Um, there was a study by um, a doctor, um, Salish Rowe, that um, wrote that around 87% of greenhouse gas emissions are caused from the animal agriculture industry or have been caused by the animal agriculture industry due to its lack of awareness of just what it is emitting into the world and having um, a want for profit over what is actually sustainable and humane. And all of these things have created such negative adverse effects for our planet where we are looking at you know increasing populations and when we're looking at having just such negative climate change effects by the year 2050 that we have to make an impact right now at this very moment. Um, I believe that the animal agriculture industry is also creating a social crux within our society when we have all these areas of individuals who are fighting for what they think is right for the planet and what they think is sustainable. I would love for us to all be on one path where we are fighting for the same thing, fighting for animals, fighting for justice. But with industries like the animal agriculture industry and with so much money being poured into just these voices and into these campaigns, um, being poured into the farm bill of, for 2025 um, for just these um, different areas of politics and for, um, you know, gain, right gain, um, it, it really does just create this division socially, which is another effect of this industry. And with time, I do believe change can come from it, but um, when it comes to veganism, we are still a very baby movement, even though we have created such amazing change all around the world, there still are so many things that we have to tackle now um, or work towards tackling. So without a doubt, um, there are these irreversible in some ways um, effects that the animal agriculture is bringing those animals lives will never be able to brought, to be brought back when it comes to rewilding which is something um fta is very for um rewilding is the action of taking land that has been devastated by animal agriculture by climate change and giving it time to regrow back to a state of how it once was uh, many many years ago and so in order to get to those points yeah we definitely have to keep championing for this cause um but yeah yeah, this is shocking. You know, when um, you address all of those issues, um, the word that comes up in my mind is evil. You know, it's a mm. very, you know, religious word. Um, truly, um, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know a better word to describe this, um, all the harm this industry is causing. Um, another word... Uh, um, related to this conversation is redemption. And mm -hmm. I want to talk about why do some of um, those 
workers, those uh, farm workers, those farmers, decide to abandon their line of work for a more ethical, sustainable uh, economic activity? What motivated them to make that transition? And I know we touched on that, but, you know, at first I was asking myself, why aren't more workers making that transition? But then I realized from conversations with people like you that um, there's the money uh, aspect of it, uh, there's the cultural aspect of it, and uh, you pointed out that there's also a, a psychological, you know, mental health aspect of it. So now I'm truly wondering why do some people decide to make that transition despite all uh, of those forces stopping them to, to, to make it? Um, where is their conviction coming from uh, when they are just surrounded you know, in their environment with uh, other farm workers um, and, and you know, the, the whole propaganda around uh, this industry. So do, do you have an idea of why they, they made that, that change, why they distanced themselves from their industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I really don't always know the answer to that. I think that for each farmer, it definitely is different. Um, but I think that it does boil down a lot of the times to just one common ground, which is that these farmers are realizing what they're doing and they're realizing that it's not sustainable um, for the animal, for the planet or financially. As I mentioned, farming has such a high debt association attached to it. Many of these farmers do want to weigh out financially. And when they see that the plant-based industry is skyrocketing by the billions and is expected to reach around, I believe it is 70 billion by the year 2050, if not sooner, then there definitely is a way to um, create a change by changing your production. And for some farmers, when they see the option of harvesting and growing and planting soybean versus trying to take the life of 500 heads of cattle um, or with chickens, it definitely becomes an easy answer for them once they have made that connection to how animal agriculture is so devastating. And for some farmers, it is just years and years of compounded um, disassociation that is finally coming to light when they're realizing how many lives are they, they've taken, um, the, in, um, the deals they have uh, made, they are beginning to see that there is an option. And also farm transitions is a fairly new conversation when you look at the time year span. When you look at 50 years ago, this was not a conversation that was being had. When you even look at veganism, these weren't conversations that were being had when you talk about the rights of animals. And that they're moving towards a point where these conversations are becoming more widespread and more prolific. And then these farmers are beginning to see that there are those alternatives out there. But at the end of the day, this is still a small change that is happening. And if even just one farmer wakes up one morning or farm worker wakes up one morning and they begin to understand that the lives that they are taken, taking is not right, then I think that that is a major step towards justice for these animals. Mm-hmm. And they, they often talk about the tipping point, you know, an experience, particular experience that... Um, made them realize that how do you help those um but but first i want to ask do some of them become vegan uh in their personal life um does that you know uh desire to distance themselves from their economic activity also translates to a desire to adopt in their personal life uh, a vegan lifestyle yeah so um through the work I've done, I have not met an individual that has transitioned over into plant-based farming that has not adopted a vegan lifestyle. Um, wow. Now, not to say that 
lot of farm workers who are transitioning don't um, uh, adopt a vegan or do um, don't always uh, adopt a vegan lifestyle um, is not the case. I mean, many of them might transition over and they may not still see it necessary to eat vegan. Um, but the ones that I have associated myself with, the one that FDA has reached out to, the ones that we have met, all of them have become vegan because I believe it's very difficult for them to make that change and make that understanding without making that change within their lifestyle and their ethics because it is an ethical awareness that is now happening for them. And now, I think it's also interesting because the way that Farm Transition Academy talks about farm transitions is a way of doing it for the animals and doing it for your ethics. But there also is just that um, uh, term within agriculture of a farmer transitioning or a farmer taking over their farmer to um, or um, giving their farmer giving their farm to their next generation. And that is also considered a farm transition. So um, I think that as we hopefully Farm Transition Academy, once we get bigger, I hope that our term could become more prolific, um, whereas farmers associate farm transitions with going um, or turning your farm into a veganic farm um, instead of the latter, where um, farm transitions are just a means of um, either turning over to um, chicken, harvest, uh, uh, using chickens instead of um, uh, cattle or um giving your farm over to your next um, kin or something like that. Um, we definitely want to use farm transitions as a much broader, stronger term because that's what I do believe it is. And you talked about uh, an economic pressure to plant-based diet uh, products demand. And so I love hearing that because it means that be becoming vegan works. We are shaping the economy to uh, our values. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. When you like, once again, just look at the timeline of veganism and um, of just like the things associated associated with it. So grocery stores, um, just seeing all the new plant-based products that are being put into these stores, the amount of animal sanctuaries that are popping up in every, it seems like every area. I think that that is just a direct testimony that veganism is the future. Plant-based is the future um, of those plant-based production foods. And then of course, farm transitions are the future. Um, times are truly changing where we're seeing a direct input into these more sustainable industries. And that's happening, um, I think in some ways, just subconsciously, I mean, vegan and plant-based foods are becoming a default for a lot of um, for a lot of places and that is a very um, beautiful thing yes it is uh, so now the question I wanted to ask earlier um, about the process itself how do you help those workers um, from you know leaving their industry to adopting uh, a new harm-free sustainable uh, um, business venture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the biggest thing for Farm Transition Academy is to use export expertise. I personally am growing within the agriculture field, ag agribusiness field, about learning how these systems correlate with each other, how we can make a plant-based future happen, um, while also intersecting into the um, uh, animal agriculture field and making change that way. So seeing how these things um, connect with each other. And then also with Tati, um, she is very specialized with um, outreach and with knowing how these just different businesses work. She has quite a bit of experience with farm transition groups over in Europe. And then Mira, she is a dedicated animal rights activist, as we all are. Um, she has been in this movement for quite some time. Um, and she knows how these communication systems work with farmers. She knows the exact questions to ask, how to um, reach out to them on social media or in person. She to get these conversations going. So with that expertise we have on top of just working with um, other agriculturists in the industry who are vegan has um, animal sanctuaries who have been in this line of work for years that is truly how we make change and I mean Farm Transition Academy we're only a group of three people so definitely leaning out into those areas where this work has been going on for so long is a big way that we're able to help these farmers if they ever were to come to us or we ever were to reach out to them and getting them in contact with these groups and getting them people to consult 
struggle with, um, offering them resources to be able to make that change. Um, once again, the biggest thing for us right now is funding. Um, money is such an important thing when you're dealing with these types of um, endeavors. Um, as fun as it is to not um, say, I mean, it's not fun to try to say that, you know, we have to have money for it. Um, um, I think FDA's hope is that the government one day would pay for these types of things um, as just like um, a subsidiary or a um, just a way of helping the planet, um, but we're not there yet. So um, on top of all these consultings and offering our resources, whether it's nonprofit groups that are helping um, farm workers um, translate language um, and helping them find those short-term jobs as they're leaving the industry. All those things are so important. Um, but of course, making sure that those farmers have um, some kind of support um, for the meantime is also um, how we can continue our work within um, creating the sustainable business plan for these farmers. I think you're an amazing group. I mean, <laughs> by yeah. the way, you told me how you know, you know study, you're studying uh, agriculture uh, in college and it's funny to think that the people around you are future workers of this industry but you are uh, like this vegan anomaly uh, in, in your class and yeah I mean how do you um, as this you know little group uh, making a difference um, how do you, you know, in terms of feelings and um, um, just, you know, your, your mental state, um, how do you feel about the work you're doing? Mm -hmm. I feel very proud about the work that we're doing. Um, I think that we definitely want to shape our organization to be able to do so much more and make those connections to be able to do that much more as well. Um, but you definitely do have to have a starting point. And I'm just so happy with the work that we've done. We've been able to work with Harvard University to launch their first course on food and environment. We've been able to have um, lectures and webinars and um, mentoring sessions with really um, um, important names in this industry that are making very big, impactful change. Um, we've been able to create our own website. Uh, we've been able to gain the support of some members at my own university. And yes, being in this um, field of work and trying to make a change in the animal agriculture industry in Kentucky, of all places, definitely is... Um, it's definitely something that I think needs to be talk talked about more. But I think for me, it gives me this leverage to be able to relate with those farmers to say, yes, once I was an FFA, yes, I did, you know, have these conversations with my advisors and with farm workers who, um, you know, where we talked about this industry, where we, you know, talked about, um, you know, the different treatment of animals, and where I also had to, you know, work on these um, farms at my university. I understand the pain that comes along with it, but I was able to make change for myself, and it is possible for you to do the same, of course, at a different level, um, but I think that that truly does give me leverage to say that I... I I understand the spirit of this experience. I'm still part of the experience. Every single day I walk into my one of my ad classes or go out to our farm. Um, I see these things that are happening every single day. And I think that definitely does give me the ability to relate with these farmers at a different level um, because I'm in this industry and I'm not someone that's completely outside of it that's trying to understand how the system works. Um, I'm someone who wants to be a part of it. So yeah, I hope that answers your question for that. Yes, and I have a last one about this. Um, I know many vegans uh, who are deeply upset and um, angry about uh, the animal industry. And you're in constant contact with uh, this industry and you're forced to uh, go beyond, you know, judging them. You you need to understand them and you need to speak their language uh, and in, in order to reach them. And you have seeing those people uh, make changes, amazing changes uh, in, in uh, the way they do things. Um, I don't know if you ever felt that anger, that upset, but uh, did your line of work ever, you know, help you with, with that anger, with that um, outrage? Um, or is it something that in increased it? I, I'm genuinely curious about that. Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I think that with the work that 
we do um, just understanding that there are forces against us, I think is really hurtful. Um, and that is hard. Um, having such a love for agriculture, but just wanting it to be different. Um, it definitely creates this weird dynamic in my head. Um, because as someone who is seeing how this industry is harming so many people, I just want them to see that as well. And for those that do, I want them to care about it because for a lot of these government business, um, these government agencies or these farm bureaus or um, whatever the case is, they're understanding that this this work is happening, but they're not making that clear cut connection between the life of that animal. And so there definitely are times where I do feel um, upset, but that anger is put into, I believe, a positive light to keep me going because there you have to be able to be articulate um, in more ways than one with that anger if you want to see change. So I don't let that stop me and let that keep pushing me. Um, I let my ability to be different and to think different push me to um, be a better advocate because I think that us being vegan is such a powerful thing that we're able to see outside the system, that we're able to see the many areas of just injustice that are happening, that we're able to see that detail and understand that this system, you know, is perpetuating such a nasty, negative future. Um, and that is our own leverage that allows us to make change and to create this whole little um, empire that we're making right now with the vegan movement of just such incredible activists and people and supporters and donors and just, you know, all these great people um, that are just visionaries. And they, that gives me the hope to keep pushing even through the days that I'm upset that I'm feeling um, defeated. Um, you know, that those are the things that truly do, you know, keep me going. And of course, seeing the end goal of seeing each and every animal free, seeing each um, human animal working in a place where they feel happy and fulfilled. Um, those are all things that I think really make me excited to keep going and excited to graduate um, because, um, I think that there is a difference that can be heard and that can happen. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Thank uh, you so much. So you talked about um, funding and how this was important for your organization. So I think you are having uh, right now a fundraising campaign. Uh, yes. So how can we help? How can we support your initiative? Yes. Well, thank you so much for asking. Um, Farm Transition Academy just began our August crowdfunding um, campaign where we um, all throughout the month of August are asking anyone to donate anything that they can, because whatever the figure is, it's going to make a humongous impact for our organization. Um, we're currently attempting to raise $5,000 um, so that we can offer free presentations and um, workshops for those the agriculture industry um, and for farm workers and um, sorry those um, so those animal rights activists because we want everyone to be able to have access to the work that we're doing everyone deserves to have access and we also at the same time want to grow our business and want to make a living for um, each of us at FTA because we believe so fervently in our work so we want to be able to um, have those funds. There's also those operational costs like Zoom and our website and um, our LLC, which we just recently got last year. All these costs are going to be coming up in the next year. And um, we also have a very strong nonprofit arm about our group. So, you know, just asking for donations is just one way that we think that um, we can give people the opportunity to make change for farm transitions and to be a part of this movement. Um, because um, I see this as something that can really be such a game changer for those farmers. So yes, we are crowdfunding. Um, so anything that you would like to donate, you can visit us at www.farmtransitionacademy.com. Once you click the banner at the top, you can go to our crowdfunding website. You can also visit us at um, Farm Transition Academy on website, on um, Instagram, on Facebook, on 
our LinkedIn as well to get the direct link to our crowdfunding page. And there you can have access to what we're doing, see how the donation can help. We have a um, breakdown of what $10 can do for our business, what $50 can do for our business, what $25, $175 can do for our business. And so that way we're very transparent about how your donation will be assisting us. Um, but truly anything would help us. Um, once again, we are very new and we're still trying to find our footing. So we want to get to a point where we are able to help farmers um, and not limit them to what they can do and to be able to reach out to those resources. So by donating to donating to us or just by following our website um, or our Instagram at Farm Transition Academy, um, you're, you'll be making tremendous impact for our days. So, Yes. And of course, uh, a link will be provided in the, in the description below. So uh, just visit uh, the description. So, Kennedy, thank you so much. I had such a nice time uh, talking with you and learning more about uh, farm transition. Thank you so much, Ryan. It was so fantastic talking with you. Really appreciate this. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you got something from this conversation. I invite you to share this episode with family and friends. Make them discover the good work of Farm Transition Academy. I'm very excited for next week because we have on the team behind egg-truth.com and I'm taking you behind the scene of the egg making process. And I promise you, you are going to learn things the poultry industry definitely does not want you to hear. So subscribe now. Become a friend of this show and don't miss out on new episodes. Finally, you can always reach me on Instagram at Vegan Report Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and see you next Tuesday.